What's up, folks? How we doing? Good. My name is Mikey. Glad to be with you. It's fun to be in this building, huh? Worship sounds great. When we first walked in here, I was like, I'm preaching in this building. So I was like really pushing hard to be back in here this week. Uh, we're going to do the same thing we do every week. We're going to open up the Word of God which we believe is the perfect Word of God that holds everything we need in order to understand what the purpose of our lives is, uh, instruction on how to live, and how to find eternal life. So we're going to be starting in a new series tonight that will take us to the end of the semester. We're going to be in the book of Titus. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open them up. There should be some around in the back of the pews maybe. I don't know. Grab one, open it up. I'm going to give you the big idea right away. Uh, I'm not going to like lead you into it or anything. Our big idea for tonight is I want to teach you guys the same thing that Paul was trying to teach Titus. Uh, and Titus was supposed to then teach other people on how to reject false teachers and submit to local elders in order to grow in holiness. Okay, so I got a fun text tonight. We're talking about rejecting false teachers, submitting to our elders, so that we can grow in holiness, okay? A couple things you need to know about the book of Titus. Uh, the book of Titus is actually less of a book. It's actually just a straight-up letter from one person to another. So uh, that's a helpful tip when you're reading the Bible is to ask yourself, who wrote this and who are the intended recipients of this letter or the book? So, you know, we're in the year 2021. It's obvious that this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote was not written directly to us, it's written to a man named Titus, so it's going to take a little bit of work on our end to understand uh, what Paul was saying to Titus and how that applies to our lives, because if you just take this and say, oh, this word for word applies to my life, you're probably going to miss something. So we need to do a little bit of work in order to figure out how this applies to our lives, okay? And we're actually going to be, I'm going to, we're going to kind of start from the back of the chapter and actually work towards the front. So uh, just keep that chapter open the whole time. Let's start in verse 1-5 with the purpose statement of why Paul's writing to Titus. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. Okay, we're going to stop there. First half of verse 5. We need a little bit of context here. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, he's the one who's writing this letter. He is considered to be the greatest missionary in the history of the church, the greatest missionary of all time. Uh, he once was a very religious and zealous man who persecuted Christians himself, uh, ended up meeting Jesus Christ, radically commits the rest of his life to sharing the gospel and planting churches, and he was very effective at doing so. Okay, and so one of the places that he visited as he's trying to plant these churches, as he's trying to spread the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, was this island called Crete, which was notorious for being full of treachery, uh, full of violence, full of sexual corruptions, and maybe most uh, important, it was a place full of lies. Okay, so uh, one of the things that it was uh, known for was it's supposedly the birthplace of Zeus, who was himself a liar, a womanizer, just not a great god to follow. And so as you would imagine, the object of worship that these people uh, were worshiping, uh, his character ended up rubbing off on the people, and the, the, the lies and just the sexual immorality ended up becoming a part of the culture because that's how worship works. The things that we end up worshiping are the things we end up looking like. Okay, so Crete uh, was an island. It was also 
very important for business. So there's a lot of uh, business coming in and out of the city. A lot of people. It was a very uh, transient island. Uh, so Paul thought this was a great place to start a network of churches. Okay, he thought it was very strategic for spreading the gospel. If we're going to be honest, Crete, you could think of it pretty similarly to Iowa City tonight, okay? People are always in and out. There's no shortage of sin in the city. There's drunkenness. There's idol worship everywhere. You name it. All that stuff on the one hand. But on the other hand, that means it's also a great place for the gospel to thrive, right? Some of your guys' lives are testament. You've, you've come to know Christ in this city where the light shines the darkest, or where the, where the light shines the brightest in the darkest places, so Paul's instructing Titus, set right what was left undone and basically finish the task that I started of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this island. And so Paul makes three main charges to Titus. We're going to be talking about the first one tonight, so it's actually uh, uh, just nicely broken up in the three chapters of Titus. So we're just going to be looking at Titus 1 tonight. Uh, the next two weeks we'll, we'll tackle the, next, uh, the final two. So the problem, Paul's instructing Titus, there's a problem. The problem is false teachers, okay? The main problem that Paul was hearing of as he left his ministry from Crete is that false teachers had come in and they were sharing things that were contrary to the gospel of Christ that Paul was sharing. So they were adding to the gospel and in doing so actually ended up taking away from much of its power and its truth. Start with me in verse 10. Paul says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It's necessary to silence them. They're ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to gain money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Okay? So that's pretty harsh, pretty harsh words from the Apostle Paul on just this island in general, on these Cretans, which actually, ironically enough, uh, ended up, the, if you called somebody a Cretan, what that meant is that you were calling them a liar, okay? The words became so synonymous that to call somebody a Cretan meant to call them a liar. So these people are deceiving people in order to gain money dishonestly, in order to gain a following, uh, you name it. They were greedy for money and for power and for influence, he even name drops these people, uh, the circumcision party, which is not a fun party that you want to go to. That's a group of religious people who were uh, insisting that if you want to truly follow Christ, you must follow these traditions. You must, if you want to truly follow Christ, you, sure, it's by faith, but you also have to do these things, namely get circumcised if you're a male. So these people come in. And they're ruining entire households of faith by preaching a false gospel that you had to do something in order to be saved. Okay? That's called a myth. He says these people are commanding things and they don't even know the truth themselves. So today, you know, it kind of sounds weird, but we don't have a lot of people from the circumcision party who are running around insisting on these specific rules in order to follow Christ. 
But we do have plenty of false teachers who are deceptive, who are greedy, and who don't hold on to the truth. Okay? Here's a few things I want you guys to be aware of. Just because something, a message maybe, a preacher is popular does not mean that what they're saying is true. Okay? The strategy of false teachers today is not to add rules necessarily to following Christ, but to just tweak the gospel and just tweak the aspects of the good news of Christ just enough so that you end up with a different product completely. Okay, so I want you guys to be on guard. If we're talking about false teachers tonight, I want you to be on guard against people who are always coming up with new ways of following Christ, new ideas about who he is, new ideas about what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Because in America, you can gain a huge following and you can make a lot of money by getting behind any new idea, hot topic, new craze, whatever, getting angry, calling people names. A few examples. I mean, I'm not picking on anybody here, but, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick a few years ago finds that if I say America's more racist than it's ever been, that fires people up. People get angry on both sides. It divides people. He starts making a lot of money. People start listening to him. All these radio shows are interviewing him. It's easy in America. You're anti-mask. You're anti-vaccine. You should write a book. You probably make a lot of money. You'll probably get a big following. You're pro-mask, you're pro-vaccine, write a book. You'll probably make a lot of money. You'll probably gain a following. We are easily indoctrinated as Americans to fall prey to whatever is successful and exciting and has a lot of hype behind it. Okay? And if we fail to recognize this weakness in our psychology that uh, yet we just like to get behind the hottest new thing, then this thinking can easily bleed into the church. Someone starts hammering the question of, well, how could a loving God send people to hell, right? Great question. Doesn't seem very loving. How could a loving God make somebody suffer for an eternity for something? Maybe they didn't even know it was wrong. How could a loving God do that? It's a good question, right? Another person says, why would a loving God ever tell two people they can't get married regardless of their gender if they really love one another? How could a loving God do that? That doesn't seem very loving to me. Isn't God a God of love? Right? I mean, to say anything otherwise nowadays is not the popular opinion by any means. Seems a little traditional, a little outdated. Before you know it, you start digging into these things, you start listening to these uh, influential, hype, hyped-up messages. Before you know it, you don't know yourself what's true, what's false, what's right, what's good. That's called being deceived. Okay? And the problem is obvious. The church has been dealing with this problem since Christ ascended and sat on his throne, is that people are going to say and teach anything. All right? This is not a new phenomenon. This has been happening for the entire history of the church that people will say and teach anything in order to gain a following, to gain success, and to make a way of living. So if the problem's obvious, if we see it clearly, then what's the solution? Is the solution that we just follow, you know, we, we commit to some random people and hope that they're telling us the truth? Who do we imitate our lives after, and who do we follow 
as we're trying to live down the narrow path that leads to salvation and not be deceived ourselves. Because the problem, the, the, the tricky part about being deceived is you don't know you're being deceived, right? That's the whole point of being deceived. Like, I, lo- I thought it was hilarious when Jesus is like, he tells his disciples, watch out that you're not deceived. I'm like, oh yeah, I like write that down. I'm like, wait, how do you know if you're being deceived? It's a great idea. How do you know? What's the solution? There's two, there's a twofold answer here. One, make sure you know the truth yourself. Do the research yourself. Find out for yourself. If you have no experience in church, that's totally fine. Uh, you have no experience uh, regularly reading the word of God. You don't know how to extract the truth out of it. And I came up to you and I said, you know, it doesn't really matter how you live your life because Jesus accepts you no matter what and because to love someone is to accept them and to approve of them no matter what they do. That's pretty confusing, right? That, like what I said was pretty cryptic. You don't really know what I'm trying to get at here. You might be a little confused because it makes sense and it kind of sounds nice. But if you're in the Word every day, reading, learning for yourself, you'd be able to, to know that that's actually just not true at all. That sometimes just accepting and approving somebody is actually the opposite thing of loving somebody. If somebody's struggling with something deeply, let's say alcoholism, and they're like, hey, I just want to get hammered tonight. And you're like, oh yeah, that's great. I totally accept you. I approve you. Do whatever you want. That's actually not the loving thing to do. Okay, some of you in the room tonight are actually holding pretty tightly to some beliefs that you, uh, that you actually just don't know are wrong. Okay? You're holding to some deceptive ideas and you have no idea that they're wrong, quite frankly, because you don't spend enough time in the Word. I think if you spent more time in the Word, you'd be able to see some of the inconsistencies and you're thinking, so the best defense against being deceived is, first of all, knowing what the word says. Knowing for yourself, doing the work yourself. The second answer comes from the few verses before what we read earlier, verses 5 through 9. This was uh, the first application point that, that Paul gave Titus. So look at me in verse 5 on, on how he's supposed to set things right. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. So if the problem is false teachers, the solution is to appoint elders in a local church. Appoint elders in a local church. This is what Titus was supposed to do. So if, if we want to uh, not be deceived ourselves, the first, the first way is know the truth yourself. The second way is to submit yourself to those who've answered the call to oversee God's church. Submit yourself to the elders of your local church. The word submission is kind of weird, but honestly, if you're looking to sum up the Christian life in one word, submission might be one of your best words you could, you could use. When Christ bids you to come follow him, when he says, hey, I want you to be a child of God, you're accepting the call to die to yourself and live to what he asks of you. 
to submit to his rule and his lordship over your life. So then one of the best ways uh, for us to learn that principle is to ourselves submit to those people that he's placed in our lives to lead the local church, the elders. Okay, the local church has always been uh, God's plan A for influencing and leading God's children on the path to eternal life. Local church is really a miracle that, that uh, what we're doing on Sunday mornings is still a thing after 2,000 years. There's not much you could say uh, that's lasted that long like the local church has. And the best way for these churches to be secured and established and deeply rooted is by godly men stepping up to the task of living lives of examples to guide the flock, to guide you and me. So, you know, the problem's obvious. With false teachers all around, we need good examples to look to and follow that we can count on. And notice how, uh, what the call of an elder here is. It's not so much on what they do. It's mostly on who they are as people. Because man is easily impressed with uh, performances and outward appearances, but God is concerned with the heart. He's concerned with character. He's concerned with integrity. And these elders, they fit the bill there. Okay, so how are we supposed to apply this to our lives? It's like, kind of weird, Paul is telling Titus, you need to appoint these elders. How do we apply this to our lives? I think there's a couple things. First, willingly submit yourself to the leadership of the local church that you attend. Put yourself under their leadership. For most of you in the room, since you're here at Salt Company, and Salt Company is a ministry of Veritas Church, I'm going to say, you should submit to the elders of Veritas. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. It's called being a member of Veritas. We have a little class that we offer uh, every once in a while called Launch Point, where after you go through Launch Point, uh, you, get, you get taught about the doctrines of the church, what we believe, who the staff are. You get to meet one-on-one with an elder. Uh, if you go through the process, you gain voting rights in the church. You get regularly prayed for. And honestly, you're just entrusting yourself to their leadership over your life. So for those of you who are going to be in Iowa City for at least another year, if you're graduating, don't worry about being a member. But if you're going to be here for more than a year, I'd say a very practical application step for you is you should apply to be a member of Veritas. Because Salt Company is great, but honestly, the best part about Salt Company, what differentiates us from a different college ministry, is that it's a part of Veritas under the direct guidance of our seven elders. Okay? Just so you guys know, Ryan and I are not elders at the church. (laughs) We love college ministry. We're serving as best we can right now, but we have not taken that step of commitment, that heavy burden upon ourselves to shepherd God's flock like the elders have. You guys know, in basically like every Hy-Vee and Fairway, there's like a 14-year-old manager, you know? (laughs) How many of you guys are like, yeah, I was that 14-year-old manager? It's almost like there's like a a job opening for it, like really young-looking manager. Okay, the kid probably just like shows up, hustled hard, it's like, make me a manager. Okay, that's me and Ryan, all right? That's me and Ryan. You show up and you're like, who are these guys? It's like, yeah, I'm the 14-year-old manager here, okay? Angry customers go up to people like, like that and they get yelled at and they're like, I want to speak to a real manager. And the kid's like, all right, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, so, you know, let's go. And then they take him to like the HR manager or something and, uh, and then that person immediately regrets meeting that person because that person has authority, Right? I'm, like, I met one of these people when I got fired from uh, Starbucks in Hy-Vee. I'm serious. 
And I, I remember I was like, because one of my, I wasn't planning on going this in depth, but one of my coworkers got fired the day before and he called me. He's like, hey, we just got fired uh, for whatever, for giving away free drinks. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, they asked who else was doing it and we said your name. I was like, thank you. So I don't know why, but I went into work and, you know, I'm thinking, oh, crap, I'm going to get fired by my Starbucks manager. Nicole, I think was her name. And I walk in and wasn't Nicole who wanted to talk to me. I don't even know the guy's name, but I remember what he looked like. I'm like, this guy's got authority. This guy's running the show here. He's one of the head honchos here. And I, I learned the hard way. Who's got the authority in that restaurant? Okay. He was not happy. I was giving away all of his free drinks. I was giving it to my friends though. Anyways, <laughs> what I learned that day, that guy's got authority. All right. Ryan and I, we're like dumb little Starbucks managers. We got nothing. Okay, but the elders of Veritas, they've got the head honcho authority that was given to them by Jesus Christ. They take their role seriously. They are God's chosen instruments in leading and correcting and keeping God's family in line. And they are important. So the second reason or the second way we can apply this is based off the first reason. I, I want you guys to go through the process of becoming a member of Veritas because for the second reason, I want you to take what you've learned and commit to a Bible-believing, elder-led church once you move on from Iowa City. Okay, let's be honest. Most of you guys are here for a short time, and then you're going to go somewhere else. That's totally cool. That's fine. But you need to learn how to discern what type of church you need to commit to. Okay, if you go and you're like looking for a job and it's in this city and you have a few, a few different options, you kind of like this job, but you realize there's no churches that are a Bible-believing, elder-led church, I'm going to be honest. You shouldn't take that job. You shouldn't move to that city. Make this one of the highest priorities in deciding where you plant your life and the community that you end up building around yourself. You need to learn how to discern for yourself if what they're teaching is true and if their elders live up to these great requirements. Okay? You guys still with me? So beyond the job requirements of an elder, what's the job description? What are they supposed to do? And how do we know if they're doing a good job? Okay, so for the answer, we're going to go all the way to the beginning of the chapter, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. In his own time, he's revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So the problem is false teachers. The solution, elders in every local church. The goal is a holy family of God. A holy family of God. The goal of Paul's instruction to Titus and what he hopes to see happen out of his, out of his letter to Titus is for the faith of God's children to increase their knowledge of the truth, that it would lead to fruit in their lives and that their hope for eternal life would increase. A holy family of God. 
So Paul's doing the job of an elder and a leader in the church as he takes great care and ownership over the family of God. You'll notice familial language here when we're talking about the family of God. And he's fulfilling his calling and passing some of that responsibility off to Titus, who would then appoint other people to then uh, pass some of that responsibility off to them. Okay, he's giving, pretty, he's giving Titus pretty specific and hard instructions that Titus is going to have to submit to, to Paul, and then other people are going to have to submit to Titus as he helps lead God's people away from false teachers and into faith, knowledge, and hope. Okay, an elder's joy and responsibility should be to build up the local church of God. If the elders in the church, if you, maybe uh, when you were younger, the elders of your church uh, were aloof, they're arrogant, they never serve, you never see them around, they don't really do much, that's a big problem. Probably time to find a new church. They are to love, genuinely, deeply love and serve the members of God's family around them. Which also means if they're taking the time to do that, we have the responsibility to respond to their gospel work and faith. Okay? That's what it means to be an elect child of God. When you hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus, if you respond in faith, that's what it means to be an elect child of God. Okay? When you encounter the gospel, do you believe it? Do you base your life on it? Do you make decisions in light of what Jesus has done for you? If so, congrats. You're an elect child of God. You pass the test. All right? It's a question we're always asking ourselves. Am I elect? Am I not? I'll make it simple for you. Do you believe it? Do you follow Jesus? If so, you're an elect child of God. I uh, legitimately witnessed somebody give their life to Christ this morning. All right, at, a, at Java House, 6.30 on Mormon Trek. Uh, funny enough, I was in a discipleship group with an elder of Veritas. His name is Dale. He was leading it. He's being faithful to his call to create and build up the holy family of God. And he starts asking my buddy, uh, he's like, hey, where are you at on your journey? He's, I was actually getting kind of annoyed because Dale kept asking him, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? What's it mean to you? How does it apply to your life? I'm not kidding. I was sitting there, I was like, Dale, you're kind of, driving me nuts with this. He starts asking, like, well, what are your fears? Like, what are your hesitations in accepting this? He basically is like, what's stopping you from giving your life to Christ? My friend pauses, and he's, he just says, I guess nothing. I'm like, oh my goodness, we're about to do this right now. <laughs> Dale's like, well, do you want to accept Christ in your life right now? I'm like, we're really about to do this. Pauses a little bit. He's like, I think I'm ready. He's like, I want Jesus to cover my sins, to give me new life. I want to be free, all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. So Dale goes, Mikey, what should he do? I'm like, are you serious? So I sit there. I'm like, well, I'm like, you got to commit and then ask Jesus. Ask Jesus in your heart. I'm like, you should commit. You should pray, and then we'll pray for you. So my friend starts praying. One of the most beautiful prayers. It totally caught me off guard this morning. He's, he's just talking about how he's like, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. I need you to cover me. I need you to give me new life. I can't do it on my own. He was accepting. He's a sinner in great need of a Savior. And he knew Jesus was ready to do it that morning. This morning, we gained a brother. We gained a new baby believer who was born again today. He responded to the call of the gospel in faith, proving he was an elect child of God. 
And now Dale, this elder, he's going to make sure, I know he's going to make sure to lead this new member in, in the knowledge of the truth so that it leads to godliness in this guy's life, so that it bears fruit. It's going to be a slow process in my friend's life, okay? He's older than you guys. He has more habits than you guys. Slowly but surely, his life's going to become more and more godly, Okay? It's not a switch. We told him this morning. He's like, well, what do I do now? We're like, well, check your expectations a little bit. You're going to mess up. It's not a switch. You don't go from deep in sin to this perfect saint. It's going to take some time, but you got to just keep moving forward on the journey, the journey towards Jesus Christ. Don't stop moving towards him. So finally, as we grow and respond in following the footsteps of the leaders and the elders who are going before us, the hope of eternal life will show up as one of the marks of your life, one of the defining marks of your life. But let's be honest. Sometimes it's way easier to get excited about things that just straight up don't matter. This upcoming weekend, uh, I'm showing my cards here. I'm going hunting tomorrow with my buddy. I'm really excited. I'm pretty hopeful. I've been thinking about it a lot. And if you looked at my heart, if there was like a gauge that you could, you know, measure my level of hope and maybe my excitement, I'm going to be honest. I think maybe hunting tomorrow will be more exciting in my heart than eternal life because it seems far away and pretty unknown. Even though I know I should be, that should be the thing I'm most excited about. I sometimes feel guilty, right? Anybody with me? I want to kind of lower that bar a little bit. You don't have to feel bad about that, okay? The reality is, here's why. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be excited about heaven. You should, but here's why. Because hope is a lot more of an action than it is just a feeling. It's like love, right? When you guys get married, you'll realize this. Love's not just a feeling once you get married. It's like you got to start doing things you know you should do whether you feel it or not. Hope is the same way. Just because you're not super excited about heaven all the time doesn't mean you're not hopeful. Your actions actually say whether or not you're hopeful. Okay, hope obviously involves this element of eager expectation, but it also has to influence our actions. Okay, if you, if you go into a job interview and you're hopeful to get the job, you're probably going to interview differently than if it's a job you don't care for, you're not qualified for, you know you have no shot of getting. Your actions are going to look a little different. If there's somebody in the room you're interested in, you know, you want to date them and you start talking to them, you're going to talk to them a little bit differently than you would talk to your roommate. Okay? Because you have hope and your hope influences your actions. If you're hopeful for eternal life with Christ, your life looks different than the people who are walking around Iowa City with no hope at all, except that somebody would just accept them and love them. Your life has to look different if you are hopeful for eternal life with Christ. My friend who gave his life to Christ this morning is a living testament that the hope of eternal life is still alive and active, penetrating in the hearts of people. Okay, that Jesus Christ does love you. He does accept you. Even 2,000 years after this letter was written, the church is still going on. People are still getting saved. There are countless people 
who will tell you anything you want to hear in order that you just listen to them, in order that you follow them, in order that you tell them they're great, you give them your money, whatever. There's no shortage of people willing to give their opinions nowadays. But if we're going to make it to the end, if we're going to be those faithful people who walk down the narrow path, we need to make sure we're submitting to and following these set-apart men, these elders whom God has chosen to lead and build up the church and the family of God in faith, knowledge, and hope. Okay, and if you're in the room tonight, and you have, if you have yet to accept this invitation that Jesus is offering you to be part of the family, and you're just walking around and you're like, I'm not going to lie, I don't really have hope. The greatest hope in my life is every single weekend that comes up. I hope that somebody will love me. I hope I'll find somebody one day who accepts me. I'm going to tell you straight up, you need a greater hope. You need a hope that's going to last. You need a hope that's not going to burn out. A hope that's not going to disappoint you. Jesus Christ is that hope. He's offering you the hope of eternal life, and he's still changing people's lives by forgiving them of their sins and giving them purpose, righteousness, and love. He's asking you to follow him tonight. The question is, will you do it? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the experience that you let me in this morning of of watching my friend realize his need for you, uh, your spirit moving in his heart, and ultimately, Lord, you giving him the faith and saving him by grace that he did nothing to deserve that salvation. There was no amount of effort he could put in that would make uh, you impressed with him, but he just realized, all I can do is accept this gift. And Lord, the implications of that decision that he made this morning are literally eternal. Uh, I know I'm going to reign with him forever. That his life is going to look different forever here on earth. So thank you that your spirit is still alive and moving in this place. That the love and blood of Jesus are still plenty. Lord, that anybody who wants to come to you in faith, who wants to find this hope and purpose for life, to find the righteousness that they know that they need, you freely offer. Lord, if there's any in the room whose hearts are beating, they're, they're, uh, maybe they're anxious, they're sad, that they feel like they need something, God, I pray that you would just show up in their lives and be very clear and, and call them out of sin and into eternal life with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, you're listening to our prayers now and that you're excited to hear our worship. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.